Welcome to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. This week we have a special extended edition Bully Pulpit, featuring an important conversation with blogger Rachel Miller on the creeping influence of the patriarchy movement in Reformed churches. Make sure you keep listening after the podcast to learn how to download a free MP3. with my co-hosts Todd and Carl and I'm ready to challenge you guys with some more new words that have been added to the dictionary as pastors you know you guys need to make sure that you are connected with the language that your congregants are using these days so are you ready to play yes far away (laughs) okay first word is loke 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 I might say well I loke that person, but... Okay, somewhere in between love and like. Not quite love, exactly. but better than like. Yeah, to feel strong yeah. affection, but not love for someone. <laughs> yeah. So that might That's be good That's kind of the I have for Todd. Is that the idea? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. loke the bloke. It's like bloke. romance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, uh, knobstickle. What? Knobstickle. <laughs> I don't dare speculate on that one. Goodness. Something you get from the ice cream truck. Um, I have no idea. (laughs) No, it's an annoying person who gets in the way. Oh, that's just like Todd. Gotcha. I was just, uh, see, see, that was just so, Carl, that was too easy for you. You should actually be embarrassed by that. All right. Well, let me throw in a couple acronyms now. This one is being uh, used a little bit on the internet. Um, CDD. CDD. Is it a Christian uh, deficit such, disorder? Uh, Christian deficit come, disorder. Close. Close. Yeah. Come, it is. come dress down. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. Something you'd put on an invitation to an OPC church. Uh. No, it's a little more formal <laughs> than that. It's Christian domestic discipline. This is within mm. um, Christian marriages, which leads Sounds me to my ominous. last one, which is OTK. Oh, that's a, that's a real estate term. Off the kitchen, presumably. <laughs> Off to the kitchen. Speaking of, you know, I'm feeling a little parched. Could you guys fetch me some coffee, maybe? Oh, sure. sure. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it stands for over the knee, which is an, an interesting acronym that's being used now to, to refer to this Christian domestic discipline, which um, reminds me of why we're actually here. What, what do we want to talk about today, guys? This is, yeah, we, I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like a, um, a, a religious um, anthropologist just discovering a brand new culture that's been going on that I've been completely unaware of. And it took Carl Truman to tell me all about it uh, with all of his extensive <laughs> knowledge. Um, uh, I love America. Right, it's a, it's a cultural yeah. anthropological experiment. And that brings us to the reason why we're talking about this today. It's not because we're sort of weird fetishist types. Uh, we actually have a special guest on the program today, uh, Rachel Miller. Many of you will know of Rachel from her excellent reviews and articles that often appear on the uh, Quilla Report. She has established herself as a scourge of the lunacy of both left and right in the Presbyterian <laughs> world. 
And we've asked her to come on today to talk about a movement that's hit the headlines uh, recently uh, and seems to be making some, what I would regard as sinister inroads into uh, otherwise, we might describe them as broadly orthodox circles, and that is uh, the patriarchy movement. So welcome to the program, Rachel. Thanks. I'm, I'm glad to be here today. It's wonderful to have you. I wonder if you could start off by giving us a, a sort of a brief, concise definition of what patriarchy is. I'm guessing many of our listeners would be like Todd, myself and Amy, sort of fairly unfamiliar with this until until a couple of weeks ago when it started to hit the headlines. Sure. Um, I don't know about how concise it's a little difficult to pinpoint down what they are and and exactly what they believe. It's generally a movement. Um, Michael Ferris said recently in his statement against it that patriarchy is all women submitting to all men. That's a little simplistic. They would say no. That's not quite what they believe. But it ends up being that way. They believe that because God is masculine, because male headship and gender roles were established in creation, that men are to be uh, the leaders in all spheres of life, family, church, and state or in the public spheres. That in a society that is honoring God, they will prefer male leadership, that women should not normally be um, working with men alongside men in public spheres because it's not fitting and uh, proper for women to be functional equals. And this would be in areas like government, industry, commerce, military, anything outside of church and home. And because of that, they believe that many of them were upset when Sarah Palin was running for office, politics aside, because she was a woman, she shouldn't have been running for office. Alongside this, they believe that it's absolutely the role of parents to teach their children. Because of this belief, they tend to be homeschoolers. They don't believe that it is absolutely wrong to send your kids to, say, a Christian school, but public school is completely inappropriate to their mindset. Along these lines, they believe that children, until they reach adulthood, are supposed to be under their parents' instruction. Sons can get some level of freedom when they've chosen a vocation, when they set up their own home or take a wife, set up their own household. Unmarried daughters are to stay at home and be under their father's authority until the point that they are married. And courtship comes into this that a son can choose his own wife, but a daughter is going to rely on her father in the direction of finding a husband for her. So this all plays into a diminishing attention for education for women. College, being sent off to college is, is really looked down on, uh, especially for women. You know, what do women need an education for? They're just going to be wives and mothers. I'm guessing, Rachel, many of our listeners would be listening to the, the definition you've given and saying, well, we, we sort of agree with, with some of those points. We, we don't consider sure. ourselves patriarchalists. Perhaps we consider ourselves complementarians. How would you distinguish what we might describe as the sort of mainstream complementarianism that, say, our friend Denny Burke over at uh, Council of Biblical and Manhood and Womanhood would espouse and what seems to be a, a more radical movement to which you're pointing? Well, first off, I would say that really all of the views on uh, gender roles from feminists on the one end to biblical patriarchy on the other end tends to come off more as a sliding scale. So there's some guys that I would have a hard time putting exactly where they are and where they would fall. I would say that the traditional middle ground and said historic middle ground would be those that we believe that men are the spiritual leaders of the family. We believe that pastors and elders, the ordained leaders of the church, should be men. 
But we also believe that it's not inappropriate for women to be working in business or working in industry mm-hmm. or being going into politics or getting an education or being a professor or teaching right. and being outside the home. We see the relationship between men and women as being less antagonistic and more complementary, more helpful of each other in our roles with each other. That even within a marriage, you know, you you respect your wife's opinion, you talk to her about things, and it's not um, a dictatorship or or leading by fiat. It's it's a discussion and a servant leadership of your family, Mm -hmm. um, which is a different focus. I mean, you know, there's obviously a very serious side to this, but some of it is so silly. It's, you know, it's just ripe for, for parody. I, I mean, sometimes that's all you can. Sometimes when it gets so silly, to treat it like it's wholly serious almost gives it a, yeah. a veneer of respectability. And some of this stuff is just insane. <laughs> Todd and I went to online to the Christian wife spanking literature website where you can actually buy novels to deal with this as a kind of thing. Yeah, there's there's spanking romance, Christian spanking romance novels. It's not every day. It's not every day that I see something for the very first time. This morning, I had one of those moments. Yeah. My, my yeah. wife, Katrina, told me that I was starting to laugh just a bit too hard at this. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I thought I saw it all when I saw Christian Amish romance novels. That appears perfectly oh, normal fun. to me now. You know, that just, this that's like, oh, well, sure, everybody reads those. You know, after I saw the spanking category, eh, Amish romance mm-hmm. novels just seem like everybody ought to have a few of those, you know. We should have um, known about this before we did the Fifty Shades of Grey program the other week. I know. Yeah, exactly. The problem is much closer to home. No, we should Belongs in the same category. It's the same yeah. stuff. Yeah. It is. It is. And, and Rachel, it was, it's interesting because as we were talking earlier, um, you mentioned something that, that really resonated with me. Um, what seems to drive a lot of the biblical patriarchy movement is that they take God's words to Adam and Eve about Eve's desire to, to rule over her husband, that sort of thing. But they, they, they take God's words there and make it a, a framework or a grid by which they then define husband and wife's relationship in perpetuity so so that so that we naturally have this antagonism between husband mm-hmm. and wife that, that must be uh, carefully controlled by the husband, of course. And uh, that seems to me, I, I guess, to, to be a misappropriation or a misapplication of what God speaks to Adam and Eve. Certainly there's tension in all relationships under the fall, but they seem to take those words from Genesis and make it a defining grid that therefore must be managed. Yeah, absolutely. What you see, um, I took a look at it as they look at all of uh, all relationships and all of uh, the world in terms of authority and submission, and that's yeah. the grid that they view everything under. Um, and it's not just husband and wife that you see the antagonism; that it's male and female that there's this great antagonism mm-hmm. for women 
to be rebellious and for men to be weak leaders. And so that that needs yeah. to be addressed in all all of society, not simply in the home. And it seems too with the um, this whole women being submissive thing, it's taking it up a notch to the husband actually being um, in control of directing his wife towards submission, which is a lot different than a voluntary disposition that you have in your marriage. And so even to the point I've read in some of Rachel's writings on this on her blog, A Daughter of the Reformation, um, to the point where there's steps on how to handle it if you're if your wife isn't behaving the way that you would like. So if she's leaving dishes in the sink too long after dinner, um, you know, to lovingly confront her, say it's your fault for not leading well enough. But if she's not going to respond to that well, I mean, there's, you know, in two more steps, you actually bring in the elders. And it's appropriate to do that, which is just ludicrous to me. And one of the other things you mentioned in that is uh, losing weight. You know, if you think your wife needs to lose 15 pounds, well, then you just, you know, follow these steps and, get her to submit. Wow. So, I mean, I think that leads to um, where we may maybe want to talk about some of the dangers that are in this doctrine, because I think a lot of people will hear it and think, well, maybe it's just like extreme traditional approach or extreme homeschooling. And um, they don't really see it as a, a dangerous theology there. Certainly. Um, I see it as you'll ask me, why do you think it's dangerous? Uh, and I say that I see the abuses in it. And what do I mean by abuse? I think that it is uh, emotionally abusive because it, it creates an antagonism between men and women. I think that it is spiritually abusive because it, um, it creates the father as priest in the home, uh, a role of, um, of intermediary between God and the wife that I think is inappropriate. And it also leads to physical abuse. This is not everyone, but it provides an environment where physical abuse is at least um, not as sought out and confronted as it might be in other groups. Right. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, Rachel, that um, there's like an irony here about this whole role Mm -hmm. of authority because the the men um demand this authority and the women are to respect their authority but it seems like these men don't have very much accountability themselves that's that's true um the majority of the leadership within the biblical patriarchy movement are men that are under very little authority themselves uh, many of them are self-ordained many are in denominations either of their own creation or in ones that offer very little uh, oversight uh, they've created their own publishing houses their own seminaries their own movements and they respond to almost no one. Right. And it's interesting to me and troubling that what, what you just named, Rachel, the, the, um, the, the self-made nature of so much of the authority mm-hmm. in this movement, um, that's troubling because in, in some cases, some of this has been, and some of these individuals have been accepted into more mainstream Presbyterian and Reformed circles. And that's... Mm-hmm troubling because they don't have the same structures of accountability that say the OPC or the PCA does. Right. That yeah. leads to a question too, maybe for uh, you two, Carl and Todd is, you know, how, how can elders respond when this starts infiltrating their church? Um, you know, should men who seem to have good leadership skills, but hold to this patriarchy doctrine, um, 
or leadership roles in the church or, you know, should maybe this be addressed higher up in like the General Assembly or something like that, since it does seem to be um, something that's really spreading. I think part of the problem of answering that question is is the sliding scale thing that it, mm-hmm. it sounds to me as if every instance of this is is going to be unique in particular ways. I mean, there are times when I think that I am I'm barely a complementarian in some ways. For me, the big issue is ordained office in the church. I'm less concerned about the culture war aspects of the whole thing uh, personally. Um, I, I certainly think that if we're getting to a position where there is physical abuse uh, of a woman involved then that's an immediate discipline issue as far as i'm concerned if i found out there was a wife spanking circle in my church mm-hmm. i'd be looking to suspend and then move towards excommunication of the of right. the men involved it also sounds to me as if if underlying this there is a psychological abuse aspect to it and that's always more tricky that's a trickier mm-hmm. one to judge because the the evidence is not empirical in quite the same way as it is for for domestic abuse. So I would certainly be very disturbed to find somebody holding these these hardcore views in my congregation. I accept there's a there's a you know, to be a member of an OPC church actually you're not required to to specify I think your your position on on patriarchy or complementarianism in an explicit form. So I'd want to handle each case on its merits but uh, I would not be comfortable uh, in anybody holding to to patriarchal views, holding office in my congregation, uh, I think that it would be it it represents a a problematic understanding of the relationship between men and women. And if the kind of stuff that we've been researching the last couple of days is anything to go by, certainly it can tend to physical abuse, and also mm-hmm. seems to embody significant aspects of psychological abuse as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with everything Carl just said, and. And I, I and I would say, you know, Rachel mentioned earlier, uh, one of the distinctives of the patriarchy movement is this idea that that the husband is his wife's priest. Well, that's just patently unbiblical. Um, mm-hmm. My wife has a high priest. Her, his name is Jesus. Now, uh, being a having a role of spiritual leadership in the home is a far cry from being the high priest in my home. Those are very different things. Um, I don't serve as my wife's high priest. I wouldn't want that responsibility for one thing. But but the other thing is is that I'm I'm delighted that Jesus is her high priest. The the elders in reformed churches need to know about this because and and Rachel, I'm I'm assuming this is true based upon what I've read, but you can confirm this or or not. I, I I'd assume that those of us in reformed churches need to be particularly aware of it because patriarchy seems to be uh, more connected to quote-unquote reformed circles than others. Is that true, Rachel? It certainly does because um, it's very appealing to to those who are conservative, to those who want to see uh, an improvement in fathers' roles within their home and within the family and within the church. And also um, as a strong uh, statement against feminism, right, that we see so facing the culture. And I think that we've done in the reformed world, we've done a really good job of uh, defining ourselves as not feminists, but I don't think we've done a good job of defining us against the other extreme of patriarchy and and that middle ground. That's really important. Yeah, Um, Yeah, that's good. 
it connects with our hermeneutic as well, because, of course, we tend to emphasize continuity between Old and New Testaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that what we see here is a very Old Testament reading of the relationships of men and women in Christ. And, you know, there's a right. whole theological issue there. I suspect that most people who hold to this don't do it for sophisticated reasons. Uh, they do it because right. their pastors told them so or because it appeals to their baser instincts. Uh, but the, I can see why it would take root in a Presbyterian environment, perhaps more than a than a Baptist or dispensation environment, because of the the culture of taking our cue right. from the Old Testament on so many things. Yeah, yeah. actually, Rachel, it's very strong in the Reformed Baptist, not the the strictly oh. Reformed Baptist like right. Reformed Baptist denomination, but the Baptists that tend to Reformed or Calvinistic teaching. Um, okay, it's very strong there as well. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so. So one thought I had, and we've discussed this a little bit kind of off-air, if you like, there there is a very popular face um, to patriarchy that's been kind of mainstreamed in our media, and that's, of course, the Duggar family. Um, They're they're kind of, um, and and I don't know anything about them. Um, Jim Bob may not spank Michelle. Um, How do you know, you know he's called Jim Bob? Uh, <laughs> uh, I've just heard. It's not that I've ever watched the show. Um, I've just I've just deduced that since they're in Arkansas, um, you know, ergo Bit Jim like Bob. the Waltons, etc., etc. Right, Gosh. exactly. But but if people are wondering what patriarchy is, that that's kind of a, a very sanitized, cleaned up, um, public face of of patriarchy. Yes. Is is that right, Rachel? Yes, they are the very public face of one of the main movements. Um, they are adherents to ATI, which is Bill Gothard's movement, um, and and that's not you know calling them out. That's that's who they are. That's no. the the stuff that they talk about. That is the curriculum that they use and that they promote. Um, and they do present a very um, lovely picture of what. Um, of what everyone hopes to get as a result of being in patriarchy. You have these lovely families. They're very well presented. They uh, speak well of each other. They don't seem to have any conflicts or or problems that they can't resolve. But in much the same way that um, you have the very clean-cut Mormon image for a lot of families, that, yes, it's beautiful on the outside, but what are they really teaching and what are they really believing and what effect does that have on, on others as a result? Uh, and I think that is one of the dangers about uh, the very public face being the Duggars is that people see it as, oh, it's just, you know, fine entertainment. This is a lovely family. But when you get down to what they really believe and what they're teaching, um, it, it's pretty scary. And I think part of the so, so much of what's behind the very public happiness, which is appealing, so appealing to everybody because they see a contentedness and a happiness there. What's not always known by people who aren't familiar with patriarchy is that there's a very clear threat that underlies all of that of, of shunning. Yes. So if you become, quote, rebellious, you, you can be shunned, which is terrifying, mm-hmm. and that a happy countenance, anything other than that, is seen as a public shaming of the Father. Yes. And so therefore, anything other than a very happy countenance, it carries with it the the threat of being labeled as disobedient, which can then lead to shunning. It's very serious. Yeah, and your only world that you have is your family and the other like-minded families. If you're put out from that, you don't have anybody. 
Right. Um, right. You're, you're Which complete outsider. provide any, um, any outlet for anyone to go to for help, for support, no. if, if they were to disagree about some of the issues in patriarchy. And also, I just think of the division that that would cause in the church then, if there's this form of elitism for, um, and I know that, that that must bother you, Rachel, as a homeschooling mom um, who would then, you know, have friends who are not homeschoolers. And for instance, I, my children go to public school, but that is considered a sin in the patriarchy movement. So that would cause right. division in my church if I had someone from the patriarchy who believes that, um, it, that what I'm doing is a sin. And then, and then we worship together. There, there becomes this us versus them going on mm-hmm. right within the church. The strictest of the, of the groups are going to be likely to be in churches only with other homeschooling families, um, either through home churching or through um, the churches. A lot of them are what they would call family integrated churches where they, they're completely against any age segregation. So Sunday schools, all that you keep the family together. Youth groups are bad. Um, it's this approach. So it, it, it's unusual to see a, a very strict patriarchy family in with the mix with the others, but they are depending on what they're, where they are and what churches they have access to. Uh, you will find them. Yeah. Yeah. And they would see, they would see, for instance, a typical, uh, conservative PCA church, for instance, as, as a threat to their children, because it could work towards, uh, the worldliness of their children, because there might be, a a ninth grade Sunday school class that becomes something very threatening to them as I, I would suppose. One of the ways around it that you'll see is a lot of them will volunteer to teach Sunday school for their own children so that they are con- they are always the ones who are teaching their children. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, this has been a, a fascinating uh, conversation. Uh, it's taken us into places which I didn't even know existed till about a week yeah. ago. Uh, and sort of reflect on the conversation. I think there are, there are certainly some things one could say about the, the patriarchy movement that we would perhaps all want to affirm. It seems to be taking the idea of family seriously. Uh, on the other hand, there seems to be an underlying nostalgia for a, for a past age that probably never really existed. And at its most extreme fringe, the whole idea of wife spanking is, yeah, is at best Christian fetishism. At worst, it's a, sanctif- a sanctification of spousal abuse. And maybe as a, as a, a closing thought, uh, given the fact that there are certain very high-profile and in some ways mainstream characters, even in the evangelical world, who espouse forms of patriarchy, I think one of the useful things that, that could be done by some of those who do espouse forms of patriarchy is, at the very least, is that it would be very good in the near future if, if those people would, would distance themselves from any notion of wife spanking. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that that is a very, very sinister aspect to this movement. Uh, and I would also counsel any listeners out there, if, if your husband is abusing you, if your husband is abusing you psychologically, not just physically, uh, you should speak to your pastor. Uh, and if mm-hmm. your pastor won't listen, then, then you should find a pastor who will listen to you. This is very serious stuff. We've, we've had a bit of a laugh about it. We've raised some uh, provocative issues, but I think on the whole, one might say that there's some very worrying material here. Uh, so I don't know, Todd, Amy, if you have any closing thoughts before we round up the program? Here, here. Just thank Rachel for uh, being here to inform us yep. more and enlighten us about this doctrine. 
Absolutely. Thanks very much, Rachel. And we will see you all next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Don't forget to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to download an MP3 message by Dr. James Boyce. Dr. Boyce could have been speaking directly at the patriarchy movement as he secures the roles and relationships within marriage in his message, Loving Husbands, Happy Wives. Here's a clip. It seems to me that it would make all the difference in the world if a husband would look upon his wife as that glorious, radiant creature that she is one day to become and will be in her resurrection body and recognize that in the providence of God, he as her husband has partial responsibility in that most glorious transformation. To get the rest of this message, just visit mortificationofspin.org. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Join us next week when Todd goes vigilante. I'm personally going to be on the watch for for anybody in my church that might be doing uh, baptisms in their bathroom. That's next week as the crew takes on baptism. We hope you can join us then. And don't forget to visit our website for your free MP3. I heard a terrible West Virginia joke recently. How do you know that the toothbrush was invented in West Virginia? Because if it had been invented anywhere else, it would be a teeth brush. (laughs) (laughs) I know that one. (laughs) Yes, we we used to tell the West Virginia jokes before we moved here, so you know how that goes. Uh